Bringing back the vitamin mini-series. Guess which vitamin deficiency resulted in skin lesions, cracked corners of the lips, depression, inflammation, and heart disease. Tune in to find out, only here on the People Scientist Podcast. listening to The People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on neuroscience, physiology, and nutrition. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking, to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast for episode 60. Can't believe it's 60 episodes already. That's pretty awesome. On this podcast, it is my goal every week to arm us with some scientific evidence to make us all a little bit smarter and healthier every week. This week, I'm continuing with the very popular vitamin mini series. So far, I have covered vitamin C, thiamine, riboflavin, niacin, pantothenic acid, and folate. Today I am covering vitamin B6, which is sometimes called pyridoxine. This vitamin, like many of the previous vitamins I spoke of, have an interesting history of clinical trial research back in the 1940 to 1950s in order to understand what the deficiency may have looked like. Today we know that vitamin B6 deficiency is actually quite common, and vitamin B6 plays a very important role in our health. So are we getting enough vitamin B6? Let's find out. Vitamin B6 plays a very important role in producing the neurotransmitters in our brain and making the myelin sheath to protect our nerves. Vitamin B6 is also important for skin health and heart health. Deficiency of B6 is commonly seen in the elderly in those with inflammatory conditions such as rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, and lupus. And deficiencies of vitamin B6 may be linked to depression, heart disease, stroke, inflammation, and skin conditions. As adults, we need 1.3 to 1.7 milligrams of vitamin B6 per day at a minimum. We can get this much vitamin B6 with 1 cup of chickpeas and 3 ounces of chicken breast, for example. A medium banana gives 25% of our daily need. Half a cup of squash gives 12%. Other sources of B6 include tuna, salmon, and chicken. Now, let's jump into the details. I always love starting out with the interesting history of how each vitamin was discovered. In 1934, Gerby identified an essential vitamin necessary for rats in order for them to be healthy, which was very distinct from the previously determined vitamins B1 and vitamin B2. And at the time, he had called this vitamin the anti-acrodenia factor. As acrodenia means patches of skin that turn red and dry, this is what he had observed in the rats that were fed a diet deficient in this vitamin. For a while, this vitamin was also called adermin to reflect the dermatitis or inflamed skin caused by the deficiency. 
But five years later in 1939, Harris and Folker synthesized this vitamin and named it pyridoxine. It was called pyridoxine because it is a substitute pyridine. But there are many forms of vitamin B6, specific forms in plant foods and animal foods. The animal form of B6, pyridoxal or pyridoxal phosphate, has about a 70% absorption rate, whereas the plant form, pyridoxine, has about a 40% absorption rate. However, Shane in 1978 showed that high doses of the plant form of vitamin B6, pyridoxine, seems to be retained by the body better. So, both the plant and animal forms of vitamin B6 seem to have their benefits or pros. But once absorbed by the intestines, vitamin B6 is converted in the liver to its active form, pyridoxine 5-phosphate. This is then catabolized into 4-pyridoxic acid, which is excreted in the urine, and this is often used as a marker for pyridoxine sufficiency, because if it's appearing in the urine, then that means that the body has enough, it can't hold on to it anymore, so it's going to excrete it into the urine. The bacteria in our colon, interestingly, can also make small amounts of vitamin B6. Now, the recommended daily amount of vitamin B6 is 1.3 milligrams daily for young men and women, then 1.7 milligrams daily for men older than 50 years, and 1.5 milligrams daily for women older than 50 years. So considering how much we have stored in our body, we could estimate that it may take about three and a half months to deplete our stores, now, that is not taking into consideration the bacterial colon contribution of vitamin B6. And of course, many other factors play into this, such as if we have the presence of an injury, inflammation, illness, or medication use that may also increase the use of vitamin B6. And I'll get into those details in today's episode. So what is the function of vitamin B6? Well, first off, it plays a really important role in gluconeogenesis, so essentially our energy levels. Gluconeogenesis means that it produces glucose from amino acids and glycerol in our body. So particularly during times of fasting or if we're eating low-carbohydrate or ketogenic diet, then gluconeogenesis is even more important. Or if we're practicing intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating, gluconeogenesis is a really important functioning system. So we need to make sure in that scenario in particular that we need to be getting adequate vitamin B6. Vitamin B6 is also necessary for the conversion of tryptophan to niacin, which is the vitamin B3. It's also important for heme synthesis, sphingolipid biosynthesis, which is important to create that protective layer to protect the nerves in our nervous system. B6 is also necessary to produce the neurotransmitters that are in our brain that basically send the signals between our brain regions to control our behavior and our mental health. Vitamin B6 also appears to be very important for our immune system and steroid hormone modulation. It's also a very key enzyme in converting the amino acid homocysteine to cystathionine and its subsequent conversion to cysteine. Now this conversion is very important because homocysteine has implications in heart disease. And I will get into all of these particular functions and their link to our health in this episode today. So let's start off by jumping into some of the clinical trials. One of the things I love to do is to dig into the old clinical trials of about 70 to 80 years ago. These clinical trials were likely not very ethical and would not be allowed today. And even though they were unethical, the information garnered from them were really important for global health at that time and even for today. So we have to be grateful for those study participants that had participated 70 to 80 years ago in these studies because For the last several decades, and even today, we have such important information now about the vitamins and how they're necessary for our health. 
For example, Hawkins and Barsky in 1948 had one man eat a B6 deficient diet for 50 days, and they monitored him just to see what would happen. The man had to eat a combination of sugar, corn oil, vitamin-free casein powder, which is like milk powder, mineral salts, and a cod liver oil, which sounds so gross. That was all he could eat every day for 50 days. This mixture of things that they called food had all the known vitamins and minerals added to it except for vitamin B6. So they could essentially monitor what would happen if they made him deficient. They noted that the man's body weight remained stable, surprisingly, as he ate enough calories to maintain his body weight. But they did note that his white blood cell count dropped dramatically. Now, white blood cells are very important for our immune system. They also noted that he developed major depression and confusion nearing the end of the study. When they gave him vitamin B5, his white blood cell count, mood, and alertness quickly normalized within a day or two. So this was one of the very first studies in humans to show a very important role of vitamin B6 in human health. The following year in 1949, Mueller and Wilter conducted a clinical trial where eight patients in the hospital for various reasons, such as, you know, they had a fractured leg or arthritis, they were in the hospital, and they were recruited into this clinical trial. The eight patients received a diet deficient in vitamin B6, but they were also given a molecule that would block the actions of vitamin B6 called disoxypyridoxine. So this trial was even a more stronger version of the previous one because now they're also blocking the actions of vitamin B6. Then the scientists observed these patients for four weeks to see what would happen to them. Interestingly, a vitamin B6 deficiency manifested first in these patients as symptoms on their skin. It took about two to three weeks for the scientists to, to observe the typical deficiency symptoms seen on their skin. The B6 deficiency resulted in dry, scaly, and itching patches as they, as they had seen in animals previously a couple of decades ago. It caused redness on light skin and light patches on darker skin. This, condition, this skin condition appeared in particular around the eyes, nose, and the mouth. The skin at the corners of the mouth became inflamed and cracked. This is called chelosis. This can also be seen with riboflavin or vitamin B2 deficiency. A swollen tongue was noted in half of the patients. So these studies, even though they are unethical for today give us important information on how vitamin B6 is essential to health. Back in 1949, it was realized that vitamin B6 was important for heart health as well, as monkeys were fed a B6-deficient diet, and they had much higher levels of arteriosclerotic lesions, meaning that the arteries were narrowed and clogged when fed a vitamin B6-deficient diet. So these studies back in the 1940s illustrated that B6 was likely necessary for alertness, the immune system, mental health, heart health, and skin health. But today, this overt of a deficiency is less common. So how today might a deficiency develop, or who is more common to develop a deficiency? Now, the reports on vitamin B6 deficiency range widely. For example, 34% of individuals living in an urban population of Pakistan reported to have a B6 deficiency. 49% of people living in a long-term care home in the United States had a deficiency. Justin in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition reported that 9% of healthy young adults and 51% of the elderly living in Belgium had a B6 deficiency. 
So it might be much more common than we realize, particularly in the elderly, that are aged 65 years and older. In some reports, vitamin B6 was the number one most common deficiency. Who would have thought that the most common deficiency was vitamin B6? So if it's that common, then who is at risk? Well, low concentrations of vitamin B6 in the blood have been reported in individuals living with asthma, diabetes, alcohol dependence, heart disease, pregnancy, breast cancer, Hodgkin lymphoma, and sickle cell anemia. Certain drugs are also associated with vitamin B6 insufficiency because these medications may interfere with B6 metabolism, including isoniazid, penicillamine, hydralazine, and levodopa. Now, work by Rose and colleagues in the 1970s showed that oral contraceptives, meaning the birth control pill, was associated with B6 deficiency. They even gave an oral contraceptive to a man and showed that the same effect had happened on their B6 levels, that their B6 levels dropped after taking the oral contraceptive. It is reported that about 80% of women taking oral contraceptives have abnormal tryptophan metabolism, indicating a relative B6 deficiency, or meaning that they have suboptimal levels, and that about 20% have evidence of absolute deficiency of vitamin B6. So it is very common to have B6 inadequate levels if taking an oral contraceptive, which is really surprising. I didn't realize that. Winston in the American Journal of Psychiatry in 2006 reported the importance of adequate vitamin B6 for individuals taking oral contraceptives. Now, taking the birth control pill may be associated with depressive mood changes in those who are predisposed to depression. The author speculates that this change in mood could be due to the reduced production of certain neurotransmitters in the brain due to a vitamin B6 deficiency caused by the estrogen in the oral contraceptives. Now remember in the beginning I said one of the very important functions of B6 is to produce neurotransmitters. So if oral contraceptives are interfering with the function of vitamin B6, it could be causing an interference with neurotransmitter production. In this study, and other studies back in the 1970s, they reported that the production of a particular neurotransmitter serotonin that regulates our mood is also dependent on, B- on vitamin B6 and may be impacted in those taking oral contraceptives. It is suggested that the oral contraceptive-induced depression might be prevented or alleviated by taking extra vitamin B6. Adams in 1973 reported that vitamin B6 supplementation may improve mood for women with oral contraceptive-induced depression. The scientists in this study recruited 22 women and gave them 20 milligrams of vitamin B6 twice a day or placebo for two months. 15 women improved with B6 supplementation, but 7 of the women either remained unchanged or their mood worsened. So there seems to be a link with vitamin B6 and mental health as B6 deficiency is linked to oral contraceptive-induced depression. And back in the studies in in the 1940s where they induced vitamin B6 deficiency, depression was also one of the symptoms. So it begs the question, is vitamin B6 associated with depression in general? Well, Ryan and colleagues this year showed that individuals living with depression had lower levels of vitamin B3 niacin and vitamin B6 in their blood versus those without depression. 32% of the people living with depression had indices of significant B6 deficiency. So why is B6 linked to depression? 
Well, as I mentioned earlier, B6 is necessary to generate very important neurotransmitters for our brain and nervous system, such as dopamine, serotonin, and GABA from glutamate. Now, studies in rats illustrate that a B6-deficient diet can result in lower levels of these neurotransmitters in the brain, particularly impacting GABA levels. Now, GABA is that inhibitory, quieting-down neurotransmitter of the brain. And this is very important because Lismore in 2018 illustrated that mood disorders such as anxiety and depression are characterized by having too much excitatory activity and not enough inhibitory or quieting down GABA in the cortex of the brain. So this is a potential mechanism of linking vitamin B6 to depression. It is a potential cause of too low of levels of GABA in the brain as B6 is necessary to generate GABA. So making sure that we have adequate vitamin B6 is a very important thing to consider in regard to our mental health. B6 is also necessary for the production and maintenance of the myelin sheath in our nervous system. Now myelin is the protective covering of our nerves. If there is no myelin sheath to cover the nerves, then the electrical signals from our body to brain and vice versa get impaired. As a result, B6 is thought to potentially have benefit for conditions in nerve and pain conditions such as carpal tunnel, epilepsy, and multiple sclerosis. However, the data is limited in those conditions. As in previous episodes, I've spoken at length about the role of depression in inflammation, and vitamin B6 is also implicated in inflammation. Friso in 2001 reported in 891 participants that those with lower vitamin B6 tended to have more inflammation, as indicated by higher C-reactive protein levels in the blood. It is thought that in the presence of inflammation, vitamin B6 may be used up more quickly. This can be evidenced by the fact that conditions characteristic of high levels of inflammation like rheumatoid arthritis and asthma are associated with low levels of B6 in the blood. Huang in 2010 reported that 100 milligrams of vitamin B6 supplemented could reduce markers of inflammation such as IL-6 and TNF-alpha after 12 weeks, and that was done in participants with rheumatoid arthritis. But another study by Chiang noted 50 milligrams a day, so half the dose, of B6 corrected B6 deficiency but did not improve markers of inflammation in those with rheumatoid arthritis after 30 days. So what's the difference between these two clinical trials? Well, the difference is the dose and the length of treatment. The one that saw an effective improvement in inflammation levels had 100 milligrams per day for 12 weeks. So perhaps that higher dose and for a longer period of time is necessary to see the improvement. Now, this is an example of how nutritional interventions can take time, and it may not result in health improvements right away that it may take 12 weeks or longer. So why does it take so long for nutritional interventions to take effect? Well, for example, a lot of time it takes time for someone who is deficient to rebuild their storage of a vitamin in their body. And after the buildup or the storage has normalized, then the changes in transcription of our genes to alter the protein expression and thus our functioning in our health also take time. For example, in mice, it can take up to four to six weeks just to see that protein turnover or to see that change in function and health. So in humans, where the metabolism is much slower, it could take much longer. Ubink in 1996 and many others since have illustrated low vitamin B6 levels may increase homocysteine levels. 
Now, this is seen as a bad thing because homocysteine is an amino acid that has the potential to increase heart disease risk. Specifically, homocysteine increases the uptake of bad cholesterol by inflammatory mediators called macrophages. This can increase the deposit of fatty plaques in arteries, and this could lead to stroke, heart attack, and peripheral artery disease. Monkeys that were fed a vitamin B6 deficient diet developed narrowing of arteries. And part of the mechanism is thought to be because vitamin B6 normally reduces the amount of homocysteine, but in a vitamin B6 deficiency, those homocysteine levels are going to rise, and that's going to negatively impact artery and heart health. Eubank in 1995 indicated that high levels of homocysteine and low levels of vitamin B6 in the blood are associated with poorer outcomes for heart disease patients. A year later, Ubank had illustrated that 20 milligrams a day of vitamin B6 was sufficient to reverse the impaired homocysteine metabolism observed in those with a vitamin B6 deficiency. Now keep in mind the recommended amount is around 1.5 milligrams a day. So this clinical trial gave about 13 times that, but it was still well below the tolerable upper intake level of 100 milligrams per day. Now, if you recall from my vitamin mini-series episode back on niacin, vitamin B3, I went into detail on how for years niacin vitamin B3 was thought to be the best treatment for heart disease because clinical trials were showing that high doses of niacin dramatically lowered the bad LDL cholesterol and increased the good HDL cholesterol. However, when the large clinical trials looking at the hard endpoints like heart attack, stroke, and death, niacin had no benefit. And scientists and physicians were shocked and wondering why. It was then they realized that although niacin raises good cholesterol, it makes the good cholesterol less effective because it generates antibodies against the HDL cholesterol. As a result, the high dose of niacin did not benefit heart health. So looking at risk factors, such as just cholesterol levels, cannot be all we look at. It's very important to look at other risk factors and the hard endpoints as well. So next, I'm going to bring up some clinical trials that look at the hard endpoints of death rate, heart attack, and stroke incidence with vitamin B6. Tavenin in 2004 reported that a higher intake of the B vitamins folate, B6, and their combination was associated with a lower risk for heart attack versus those with the lowest intake. But this conclusion was based on an observational study. So it has promising indications, but we also need to look at an intervention study where patients are given a supplement and followed over a period of time. Schneider and colleagues conducted the Swiss heart study in 553 people with heart disease that required angioplasty. Now angioplasty means the patients had clogged arteries in their heart that required the implantation of a stent to allow blood flow back again to the heart. After this procedure, Half of the people received a placebo, and the other half received a combination of 1 milligram of folic acid, 400 micrograms of vitamin B12, and 10 milligrams of vitamin B6 for 6 months every day. Now, the B vitamin supplemented group had a lower odds of requiring another procedure to restent the artery. Specifically, 10% required surgery again in the B vitamin group, whereas 16% required surgery again in the placebo group. 1.5% of patients in the B vitamin group died versus 2.8% in the placebo group. So supplementing with those three B vitamins may have benefit for heart health 
after an angioplasty. So this was a quite promising clinical trial to show that B vitamin supplementation may have heart health benefits. Quinn in 2014 did a meta-analysis and pulled together clinical trials with 5 to 10 milligrams of vitamin B6 supplementation and reported about half the risk of needing surgery again compared to the control group. So this meta-analysis had reconfirmed the initial findings of that one clinical trial. Okay, so vitamin B6 is important for heart health, skin health, and mental health. Where can we get vitamin B6 from? Now, the recommended amount is 1.3 to 1.7 milligrams a day for adults. Vitamin B6 is found in bananas, chickpeas, nuts, and many common vegetables like potatoes, green beans, cauliflower, and carrots. B6 is also commonly found in animal meats like chicken, turkey, tuna, salmon, beef liver, and ground beef. Now, we can get the recommended about 1.5 milligrams of B6 from, for example, one cup of chickpeas and three ounces of chicken breast. Or we can get our daily requirement with one cup of tomato spaghetti sauce, one cup of cottage cheese, one cup of potatoes, and three ounces of salmon. So as you can see, it may not be that easy to get enough vitamin B6 throughout the day, as I had to combine four different foods for that last one. It can take a combination of different healthy foods. That's why we say generally to try to eat a variety of healthy foods. But one thing that I have mentioned a few times in past episodes is nutritional yeast. Now, one teaspoon of nutritional yeast gives 100% of the minimum requirement of vitamin B6, so a much easier way to obtain that requirement. Now, nutritional yeast was used to study vitamins back in the early 1900s, and today it is deactivated yeast that can be added as a condiment to foods to increase the intake of some B vitamins. The reason why I like nutritional yeast as well is because it is a food. So it is more tightly regulated in terms of safety and what is actually present in it versus the rules that govern supplements. But if you do decide to take a B vitamin supplement like a B complex, I have seen pyridoxine hydrochloride as a source, which will have about a 40% absorption rate. Whereas I've also seen pyridoxal 5-phosphate or PLP as a B6 supplement which would be the activated form with around 70% absorption rate. So just keep in mind that those two different forms will have different absorption or bioavailabilities. Both are going to increase vitamin B6 levels. It's just that the PLP form will be absorbed better. Now, I always have to ask the question, is the recommended amount of around 1.3 to 1.7 milligrams a day, is that enough? Is that just to prevent deficiency or is is there a higher amount that we can take to promote optimal health? Well, there is less information, unfortunately, available on vitamin B6 in this regard. We do know that trials supplement anywhere from 5 milligrams to 100 milligrams per day, Particularly in those with a deficiency, they did show that 20 milligrams of supplementing per day was enough to get up to optimal levels. And they had recorded what optimal was by the appearance of the breakdown product product of B6 in the urine. They also measured what was optimal by looking at how homocysteine was metabolized and looking at that as the outcome as well. Now, the tolerable upper intake level of vitamin B6, to which the Institute of Medicine recommends we do not exceed, is 100 milligrams per day. So as long as we stay below that limit, but at least above that one point, around 1.5 milligrams per day, then I think we will be okay. 
But beyond the level of 100 milligrams per day, there is a risk of sensory neuropathy. This means loss of nerve functioning. And unfortunately, it may not be totally reversible. So that this is something to very much keep in mind. Now, sensory neuropathy occurs from damage to the cells of the dorsal root ganglia. And this can result in numbness, pain of the hands, arms, legs, and feet. There are many reports, for example, in the New England Journal of Medicine that reported individuals who recently took mega doses of vitamin B6 and had horrible effects such as neurotoxicity, in which neurons of the brain and nervous system were seriously injured. For example, in seven case reports of young women taking 2 to 5 grams of B6 per day, they had initially noticed symptoms of numbness and tingling, such as when they were flexing their neck. It produced a tingling sensation down their neck and into the legs and soles of their feet, which is called their meat's sign. The individuals also became unsteady when walking and sometimes required a cane or assistance to walk. They also noticed difficulty in handling small objects and doing fine motor activities like typing on a keyboard. They may have also noticed some changes in the feeling of their lips and tongue. They were told to discontinue taking the B6 supplements and several months later they did notice improvement, but not a complete recovery. Now the doctors had done biopsies on their nerves in a few of the patients and the biopsies had illustrated that there was widespread degeneration of nerve axons. And they have replicated this in animal models, such as in rats, that high doses of vitamin B6 essentially damages the neurons, degenerates them, kills them off, and this results in the sensory neuropathy. So essentially, this high of a vitamin B6 can be very detrimental. So we do not want to overdo this vitamin. A lot of the vitamin is not always better. Please, I don't want to see individuals having sensory neuropathy because it sounds horrible and not 100% reversible. So make sure to try your best to stay under that 100 milligram of vitamin B6 per day to reduce the chances of getting the sensory neuropathy. These individuals who had the sensory neuropathy were taking 2 grams and above. So at 100 milligrams, I think we are definitely safe and away from that high amount and those side effects. So that is a wrap, my people, scientist army. This was the continuation of our vitamin mini-series. Today I talked all about vitamin B6. Deficiency in this vitamin may result in feelings of depression, heart disease, and skin conditions. B6 deficiency might be quite common. Individuals at risk for B6 deficiency include the elderly, individuals taking oral contraceptives, those with alcohol dependence, or individuals with inflammatory conditions. B6 deficiency can manifest as dry, scaly skin patches, cracked corners of the mouth, feelings of depression, confusion, and low white blood cell count. B6 is very important in producing neurotransmitters so our brain and nervous system can work properly. That is why vitamin B6 is so important for our mental well-being. Vitamin B6 is also essential for gluconeogenesis, so it's really important for our energy levels. It's also essential in producing the sphingolipids to generate that myelin protective sheath to cover our nerves. And B6 is also important in regulating the levels of homocysteine and therefore important in lowering inflammation and heart disease risk. Now let's remember to be grateful for the people 70 years ago who contributed to science by being study participants and were made to be vitamin B6 deficient so that today we know that we need B6 for our health and well-being. So you can check to see if you eat some of the top B6 food sources I listed to determine if you think you're getting enough B6. 
And if not, try adding in some rich sources like chickpeas or hummus, bananas, salmon, chicken, potatoes, nuts, cottage cheese, and tomato sauce, as these are all very good sources of B6. Otherwise, as I've said many times, nutritional yeast might be a good option as well. I hope you all have a safe and healthy week, and I will meet you back here the same time and same place next week on the People Scientist Podcast. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates. Thank you.